In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. So we have, for the first time in a little while, a host's only episode of Rector's Cupboard. Bum, ba, dum. And I'm Todd. And I'm, oh, hi, Ken. <laughs> hi, Todd. Nice to uh, see you. Ken Bell is here. You could hear him with the musical interlude. Thank you. Uh, and Allison Williams is here as Hello. well. Hello. Uh, and Amanda Mina is here as well. Greetings. And we're all here uh, for a host-only episode. And we have, a, I think, a few interesting things to talk about, which generally have to do with the precariousness, the supposed... Suppose. Precariousness of life right now. That the, the, felt, the felt precariousness. Is it more precarious than it used to be? One second. Oh. Does anybody not feel that? Right. Sorry, am I weird in feeling that? You don't feel like it's precarious right now. Ken just raised his hand. <laughs> for, for the <laughs> listeners. So, who for can't you see who that. are listening, if you can identify generally with a sense of like things you used to feel certain about, feel less certain. <laughs> Um, we're here for you. You're not alone. And we're going to, and we're just going to, yeah, we're going to like cry about that together. Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. No, we're going to drink some that. wise counsel, I think maybe. But we're going to start advice. with a tasting. But first we're going to start with a tasting because that yes. is a nice way through some of this. And cupboard master Ken Bell has, I'll just say one word for this tasting and you can go from there. Okay. And that word is warm. And that's exactly where we wanted to start. I thought it's uh, November, the weather is beginning to turn, and we're far away from icy drinks on the on the deck, and thought I'd do a warm cocktail. So this is a very simple gin cocktail. Uh, it's a mixture of gin, hot water, orange peel, and some tonic syrup. And gin, that's it. hot water. Yeah. Tonic orange syrup. peel, like a zest kind yeah. of. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a... Yeah, there's a little bit of orange peel. Yeah, in there's this. peel in your glass. Yeah. <laughs> and then a syrup. That's it. So we can try it now. Tonic syrup, yeah. And so it's going to be very warm. The The warming of the gin actually opens up a bit more of um, some of the aromas that you might mm. miss when it's too cold. Some of the botan- botanicals, easy for you to say. Um, yeah, so you'll get a slightly different, it kind of feels actually it's warm nice. down the throat mm-hmm. and it's very It is, soothing. given our topic, precariousness. It's kind of comforting. It is. It kind of is. I'll admit, when you told us what was in it, I was a little skeptical. I was, I like, was just like, mm, hot, hot water, water and, and orange. <laughs> <laughs> but the gin and the tonic syrup. Uh, no, this is makes nice. It different. It's nice. It's, it's really it's, good. It, you can just imagine sitting by a fire after dinner or something mm. like that. Christmas tree is up, something like that. Not quite so. yet. No, no, no. But uh, soon. Depending upon when this or podcast it's a nice gets drink re- re- to re- have re- if you're sad. Or if you're <laughs> sad. <laughs> There As our listeners might be. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, we, we need those. We do. Right? So hopefully you enjoy any gin will do, any tonic syrup. Which gin are you do. using with this one? Uh, Ooh, with this, we're using one of our favorites, the Woods Distillery here in North Vancouver. Mm. They're dry Classic gin. Classic for my... Yeah. 
Yeah, but we've had a lot of gin. We're in North Vancouver. We're very fortunate. We have a bunch of places yeah. that make some very we've good had gin. Yeah. Copper penny gin on here yeah. before, yeah. and uh, so we're very fortunate to have some very. Well, good Sons gin. of Vancouver now makes gin. Yeah, so so lots any, of options if you're gin. on the North Shore. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and the go. orange is just a regular orange. Just an orange. <laughs> nothing fancy. Just nothing. Not fancy. an artisanal. And the syrup is just a navel. The syrup is. I mean, I'm not a drink mixer. That's just a regular sweet. Syrup. Well, it's called a, it's called a tonic syrup. So if you if you Google tonic or you go into Amazon, you can get because uh, you can get some syrups that taste like uh, ginger to make a. So there's Moscow some kind mule. of botanical in here yeah. as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's just Hands lovely. You guys like it? I like it a I lot. I do. Actually. It smells nice. I like it's too. nice and warm. It's comforting. It's what kind a of perfect beautiful for this for like this cold, wet, rainy day. And this cold, wet, rainy conversation. About how I like that you keep are. circling around to try to prepare people. I think for that's what, what we're doing. Is it like, like Todd's form of a trigger warning? Yeah, it's like okay, everyone, yeah. emotionally prepare for what we're about to so talk about. So, because I've you know been a pastor for so many years and uh, and have this like pastoral sensibility, I thought I'd I'd uh, segue our conversation by reading a little bit of a psalm. Um, well, it is a psalm, it's not, but it's not. <laughs> I'm just not going to read the whole thing. It's an actual psalm because so often. Uh, if we're speaking about precariousness in the sense that things are shakier than they were, um, whatever that means, you go to the Psalms and that's just all through it. Like, you know, be at rest, O my soul. And then also like, why are you so disturbed within me? And all mm. like back and forth, which is really, um, you know, that's the human condition. So this Psalm, Psalm 57, just a little bit of it. So I'm using this basically over our conversation about some of the things that are shakier now. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the destroying storms pass by. I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. Often there's the presence of enemies and these kinds of things, whatever those enemies might be. God will send forth his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then this really vivid image. I lie down among lions that greedily devour human prey. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharp swords. And then this shift. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And then, I won't read it, but the psalm continues that goes back into that precarious situation. Like they've set a net for my steps. Um, they've dug a pit for my path. And then it, it ends again with be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And so I use this um, not to speak a sermon on it or anything, but to kind of, even as we talk about some of the things, we'll, or the main thing we'll talk about, which we're going to use the concept of retirement um, as as a bit of a metaphor That's for that. talking about how things are changing. Um and as we talk about how precarious things can feel and seem, often a psalm like this can be some consolation. There's no, there's no fix in it. It's just you realize you have company. You realize, oh, the psalmist was feeling this. Well, it seems to me like the entirety of human history, nobody's ever really felt <laughs> unshaky. <laughs> right yeah or at least that's not the typical human experience yeah no yeah so back to that alone feeling of like oh people have felt this before and before and before and before yep Um, but i think sometimes we're cursed with the idea particularly those of us who grew up where we did when we did 
that we weren't supposed to feel that. That the best feeling mm-hmm. was to not feel yeah. shaky. And that's, I think, the reminder over the last number of years, uh, you know, pandemic and since, mm-hmm. that it's like, oh no, maybe we're identifying now with, with the whole of humanity. Maybe the exception was that kind mm-hmm. of false mm-hmm. sense of security. So... Um, so blessings to you who are, however, you're, you know, you're listening, whatever you feel about this, whether the, a podcast like this is simply a distraction from some of the pressures <laughs> that you have. Um, and we're, we're pleased to be that and be your comforting orange, warm water mm. drink. Whatever that. Um, it, it's a lot better than it sounds. I feel the need to it like, is good. It, is. it is, it's a poor Ken in this. Um, he makes a very water solid gin. drink. Or if by some grace, there can be something pastoral here for you, we'd be so pleased to, to be part of that. But we're going to start kind of a runway in with we were going to kind of go around the circle here at the table and say did you bring something interesting but we hit something curious I thought that it was curious because as we were speaking before saying what little article did you bring or what interesting news bit um, a number of you mentioned that it's not as easy to find those as it used to be so tell me why well I just reflecting that um, it's because of Facebook so Everything for, is Meta's fault. Well, yeah, and for, for those of you living outside of Canada, you may not have this, but in Canada, <laughs> Facebook is now not carrying any news, anything that mm-hmm. smells. Of, it's amazing how they've been able to all of a sudden shut down all news, but before they weren't able to filter out fake news. But now they can filter all out news. all news yeah. very easily. That, that might Anyways, be a different podcast. Maybe. <laughs> um, but that w- used to be kind of a Now, this is because of a government uh, regulation now. Yeah, it's because yeah. of a government yeah. regulation. That they would have to pay. They would actually have if to pay the If they were going to use sources. a platform's article, they would have to pay for that. And yeah. Facebook is like, we're not going to pay for anything. Like five cents or something like that. Anyways, um, but that used to be a source. Friends and stuff would post, oh, here's something fun that someone did or something crazy mm-hmm. or something and that's uh, not encouraging there someone did. Or you'd get something did. from like Daily Hive or whatever, which, you know, not yeah. hard-hitting journalism, but... But it was a bit... And looking yeah. through my other news feeds this week, it's been, no, no, it's it's... So we've got... Uh, well, because news feeds now is just war. And it's it's war, mm-hmm. housing crisis, the craziness of American politics. politics. And climate change. And climate change and, and yeah. all that sort of thing. And you're not going to so talk about that. Hard. I'm not going to talk about American politics on the mic here. Okay. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> but you did... Okay, so that's an issue. Yes. You identify with that. He, yes. I did find one sort of fun story. Oh, that I was watching. Pray tell. Yeah, in this, I was I was watching the news yesterday, which is weird. Anyways, uh, well, now that it's not on Facebook, what are you supposed to do? Well, exactly. But no, there was a there was a bear. I think it was Coquitlam or something like there that. Was a Port bear. Moody. That's a great start. <laughs> There's a bear. There that once locked. was a bear. This is Canada. Of course, there was a bear. <laughs> and he put it, down his hockey stick. <laughs> and he locked himself inside a minivan. <laughs> so apparently, he found a way into the minivan, uh, but then couldn't find his way back out again, and just tore the entire <laughs> thing apart. Of Afterwards, course he did. The owner, so no more the interior. Said, the owner said it smelt pretty bad in there afterwards, <laughs> I which oh, I imagine. Well, how long was it there? Are pretty smelly, though. Several hours. Mm, so there mm-hmm. was some reasons for there to be various bear smells in there. Eventually, apparently, someone found the fob and was <laughs> able to... Beep, beep. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah open, automatically open <laughs> from and the bear was like, oh, finally. <laughs> yeah, and the bear Thanks. sort of... And, and they blared <laughs> the horn and the bear took off. I may but have done some damage in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that when I got in here. <laughs> wasn't me. Well, although that's what ICBC was wanting to make sure. Yeah, the so insurance anyways, corporation was, said they'd have to uh, tow the car it? away in two weeks and inspect it to see well, if it was fixable. Just in case. <laughs> Surely know. there's something salvageable. It's, 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 it's like ICBC the bear waiting period. 
the, the fact that ICBC only took two weeks, actually, that kind of surprises me. But no, so that was sort of a funny, that was the closest thing I could get to a funny news. Or there's a lot of bear stories in North Van, though, and, so it, I and have, in the lower yeah. mainland. I have one more animal story. This was in the Washington Post. So it must be I, true. I know what you mean by Facebook, because I think if you're scrolling, they, but I don't, I didn't, I don't experience that as much because I'm not as Facebooky, I guess. Yeah, you do a lot of other news scrolling. Yeah, like Apple News and different things. So this um, this story was in the Washington Post, and it was about cats. You have a cat, Ken. I have two. Two cats. Everybody here has a cat but me. I have a cat. I have a cat. Okay, so it's okay, Allison, you can chime in, though. You have I'm a cat, a cat proxy. I do. My in-laws have a cat that my my daughter, I think, if she thought she could get away with it, would steal. I yeah. understand that the cat was babysat at your place for a spell. Yes, she was. She was a lovely house guest. Yeah, we would take so. her back anytime. So if my in-laws are listening to this, that's like, we'll take her for a weekend visitation. Just a little plug. Yeah, so yeah. this article was on, um, you know, the, the kind of thought, the assumption, the prejudice, whatever, that cats are aloof. And always wanting to We're kill you. We're concerned about the prejudice yeah. against cats. <laughs> and they're that always took a lot of thought. They're always scheming. I know. I know. They're always scheming to take you out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The it's a bit judgmental. Like cats are so. <laughs> well, aloof. I mean, their face is judgmental at times. Well, this article was about their faces. Well, oh. go on. So, I mean, I we have a cat. Our cat is he aloof? <laughs> uh, he's very territorial. He's not aloof to us, to his family. He, he's tribal. No. He likes his family. And kind of hates super everybody else. Super affectionate, super like cuddly, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. Yeah, no. unless My he doesn't want to be touched. And then he'll your cat is affectionate. No, no. No, they have not. So he, the article was saying that pe- there's this assumption that cats are aloof and don't really need people and don't care. But the research shows, and it, it, it examined one particular longer term study overseen by some cat studier. Those are things. Catologists. And uh, this person said they like dogs, not cats, but for some reason the preface, they were tasked. The disclaimer there. They yeah. were tasked with studying cats. And what they came what they realized is cats have two hundred and seventy-six distinct facial expressions. Do we need to fact check them there? Those are numbers. Todd's not always great. No, with I those. no, I remember two hundred and seventy-six. Some of the articles said three hundred, but Ooh. actually it was two hundred and seventy-six. Actually. Close to 300. We can link the article. We, we can't. So you, um, can, you can fact 276 check 276 distinct facial expressions mm. that more than any other kind, the, the most frequent kind is friendly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of the, and this is how cats interact with other cats, but also how it, cats interact with people. So it said like. I don't know that Amanda's cat has that many facial expressions. The he more negative ones. slightly scared look. The more negative ones, their ears go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The more positive ones, their ears go forward and they can kind of squint their eyes a little bit. The slow close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like how they, they lick their lips or whatever, was, which was generally a negative one, which was interesting. Um, because they're c- trying to think about feasting on you. What do you think? Maybe maybe we had cats wrong. Maybe cats are much okay. more relational than we had thought. That's why I, this I think if you to own theology. a cat, you know it's relational. <laughs> I think I, it's just non-cat owners who make that assumption. I think so. I mean, I've had a cat for a really long time, and I. But you don't go like, "Who's a good boy?" <laughs> to your cat. That's a dog thing. Um, your cat I talk to I, Logan I've done a that lot. To your cat, Amanda. Yeah. And actually, you talk to Ollie. Yes, you do. Oh, constantly, my cat. Yeah, that's my cat's name is Ollie. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I do do that. Yeah, and we and I a, believe that... Our cat will, one of our cats anyways, will wait on his chair, which looks out over the driveway, 
uh, it's a little kid's chair and he waits for us to come home and then he runs to the door and has his tail up in the air and he's rubbing again. He's very excited that everyone is home. And when one of the family members is out of the house at night, he is waiting downstairs on his chair, waiting for the last family member to come home. Logan waits for us too. It's like the father and the prodigal son. The other other cat we have is is truly lovely and and very affectionate, but terrified of absolutely everything. It even is scared of its own tail sometimes. Like Mm. the the tail hits it and the cat jumps and goes, what the f*** was that? (laughs) So... They Logan, do have different personalities. Uh, we could post a photo of my cat. I suppose. Oh my gosh, Logan, he's so handsome. He's a chunky cat, though. He <coughs> enjoys his food. He he's, actually stopped he's a big boy. mid-chew when I came home yesterday. This is according to Gavin. Uh, stopped his meal to run to the door to greet me. He's lovely. I can't. This is a cat that okay. loves so his food. We're all so in agreement here. I think you know people cats give cats a bad name. Yeah, yeah. So there's a theological point. Is there? Well, there is. There, this idea that things, um, the world, <laughs> creatures, um, are much more relational, always more relational than we, than we think. So I'm just reading this little article about cats. And there's this kind of, of course, of course, every living thing exists, like primarily... In, in relationship. relationship. Mm-hmm. And Although your cat is very particular about those relationships. I would not encourage any listeners to try to spark a relationship with Ollie. Yeah, but that reflects the family, I think. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Whoa, Jen's in that family. Yeah. I was going to say it's a, very We generally slow. have a lot of don't mix. <laughs> I think it's taken me about seven years, but I can pick Ollie up now. It's taken a long yeah, time to get there. Yeah, and he'll purr. He even purrs for me. Yeah. It's rare. That's like a little he intensely pride for me. people. Mm-hmm. Intensely, very and bonded. Not a lot so of other people. So to segue, I was going to make another theological point. Okay, good. Oh, I okay, always sort of imagine that that you know God is a bit more like a Uh-oh. cat <laughs> than a dog. Oh no, this is not a theological point. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Oh, oh dear. Do we need God? To? Cats choose to be in relationship with us. They don't actually have to be. Cats can survive on their own. They don't need they're to be not in relationship. No, they're not domesticated. Dogs could not survive right. really well on their own. They, they, they were, everything has been bred out of them that would allow them to survive on their own. <laughs> Cats can. They choose to live in relationship with us. And as much as God wow. chooses it's an interesting reinterpretation of to Bart's be point. in relationship with us, God chooses God to be with us. God has chosen to not be God without humanity. And cats choose to and be cats. cats Therefore, have God is like, like a, a cat. cat. Okay. Okay. Uh, all that right. Segway. Nicely done, cupboard master. That's. <laughs> I notice. I notice he's the only one who's done his warm orange drink, yeah. which might explain. I wonder if that contributes to some of this. Which might explain <laughs> his undergrad paper there. <laughs> First year Bible um, study. Yeah, yeah. Bible school. Bible student. Purring right now. Well, God <laughs> is like my cat. <laughs> um, I have to mark this now. Uh, so to segue, we I, I thought as a metaphor to talk about the precariousness of things, situation, how things are shaky, we would do some reference to this, uh, and apologies to those listeners who aren't Canadian, actually who are Canadian too, because how many people know there's a magazine called The Walrus? Not that many. It's true. I do. Okay, there's a Canadian magazine called The Walrus. It's a little bit more longer form journalism, so this yeah. article is quite long. It's all on retirement, and I'm introducing this as... Uh, uh, it's a cover story, and the cover of the magazine literally says the end of retirement. I don't think it even has a question mark. It's just the <laughs> end of retirement. It's a statement. And then the article basically is saying, like, we're living through a time 
where the concept of retirement, the reality of retirement is just out of reach for more and more and more and more people. And then ask the question, where does the concept come from? What are some of the differences? And then there's lots of little quirky points through here. I'll introduce it by saying that um, the uh, author of the article, I'm forgetting her name. Shoot, we can Catherine. look that, but Catherine. Catherine. Yeah, Catherine something. Um, Bradbury. Points thank out, you. thank you, well points out that um, it appears that the concept of retirement in terms of national policy was first brought to attention in 1880, 1881 in Germany, Otto von Bismarck. And there it was stated by the administration that, that uh, the government should pay for basically people's living um, from age 70 and on. That, you know, someone who's reached age 70 shouldn't be expected to have to figure out their own income and they've know, contributed themselves. to society. Right. Yeah. So well, except the catch with that is what was the life expectancy? Life expectancy at <laughs> the time was 40. <laughs> so, so if they made it to there, 70, they really, they really have earned really that. contributed to society. I feel like it's some good PR that they're like, this isn't going to cost us anything. Yeah. So if there you, was a lot of war in Europe at that time though too. So and no it's vaccines. not that long ago that life expectancy even here was like 50. Mm-hmm. Like it's within the last century and now it's 80, 80 mm-hmm. something. I just read an article that in, in the United Kingdom where there's a big push to like stay alive as long as you possibly can. There's a new um, Netflix for show women, Blue Zones and yeah, that's, Living yeah, was, People. I think was talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, for women, I don't know if it's life expectancy now, but it was some kind of measurement saying like a lot of women, most women like can expect to live to 94 Given, given, I yeah. think a few circumstances. So That's a lot of knitting for you, Allison. I have so many projects I can do. <laughs> and then this is in this article. I've been old for a long time. Was it, what was that Netflix thing you said? Uh, Blue Zone. Blue Zone. It's about Blue Zones. It's actually not called that. I so it's people it. who are trying to live as long as they possibly can. Well, no, it's 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 about it's regions about in the world where uh, we okay. see pockets of people living where they're living to a hundred. Why in this okay. community and so not So apparently, uh, the some ultra rich people are trying to, you know, beat mortality too, which. Thanks be to God, Jeff Bezos is doing this. It's called How to Live to 100. Right. So Jeff Bezos yeah. is trying to, you know, be, which I just think like. Of course. Oh, not, not, I'm not I wishing mean, him not to be alive or anything, but what we need is for the ultra billionaires to. Live that long? Live, live forever and ever. <laughs> like yeah. so he did bring us Amazon and I was able to get a can opener within 12 hours of ordering it. That's true. Thanks yeah, be to God. Get, yeah. Uh, um, so Von Bismarck. Age 70 and on, but life expectancy is 40. In Canada, our experience, um, for those of us sitting here, uh, along with um, subsidized, not subsidized, but public health care and such, around the same time in the 1960s, retirement was introduced as a policy. So it was 1965 that it was written into. And so then there's going to be government-supported retirement. But life expectancy at the time in Canada was when when the age was chosen to be 65 like life expectancy was you got it 68 68 so the government's so like we'll support you for three years on average on, on average. average yeah so now what do you think now like what do you think people are expecting i'm gonna retire at what age and how long am i gonna live well todd you and i are roughly a year a little year give or take a few months away from freedom 55 yeah. Right. From that, from that masterful mm. concept of you can retire in the prime of your life and just enjoy. You can vacation. Decades you can, of time. Yeah. You so can, that's the dream. 
That's the dream. To not have not to work. work. For some. For some. Yeah, but, but that was the dream that but was But that was certainly proposed. a cultural norm, especially... I think even when I was in high school, the whole Freedom 55 thing in the 90s was big. 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. But even at 65, the idea was you were old by then. You probably mm. couldn't contribute Tribute. to work. Yeah. And therefore, you retired. You had a few years before... Take a cruise. Take a cruise. Something. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. Because death will be knocking. Um, so is retirement over, do you think? I mean, no, we're not economists. We're you mean for like, I think there will be people that continue to retire. I can say that as far as myself, like I'm in my late 30s, I have no hope of retirement. Like that is not a concept that I have for myself personally. Do you lament that? Do you wish you did? I, I don't lament... Like, like, I don't lament some sort of, like, I'm going to go and spend three decades golfing in Arizona sort of thing. I Like, that I don't lament. But it, there is a heightened sense of the insecurity the dependency of going, of, like, like, how am I going if I to... If I don't keep working, I might not... I think there was this idea that, like, at a, a certain point, whether it was 65 or whatever, there was some kind of degree of stability yeah. we'd reached. Mm -hmm. Financial stability. So, you know, in your early 20s... You're eking it out and, you know, eating ramen or whatever. Mr. In Noodles. In your 30s, you're In your 30s, you know, out. you're having your family and by your 40s. Then you have your high income years. Yeah, yeah. In your 40s and then, your 50s and your 60s. So no matter you what you want to do. I mean, there's no pensions for the no, most part No, exactly. Now. So there was this kind of idea, even as pensions went away or um, people were working longer, that there was like a, a financial stability that could be attained whether or not you retired or not, or then there was the, you know, you kind of pseudo retire, but then you go into consulting or whatever. But there was mm -hmm. this idea that you reach, you've achieved something, you've I made think, it to a place. Yeah. And I think part of it is this weird, this understanding that work is bad, that work is contrary to living. So therefore you work until you get to the point where financially you don't have to and then you quit that day and then you truly get to live that that's which the is story such an interesting thing sold to us you're right that's exactly what it is but at the same time as you're working that should be your identity right. and the grind culture well, that we've it like yeah, what hi what you, do you, and you do? do hear about a how lot you of identify people, yourself a lot yeah. of retirees who struggle going well i've spent 30 years doing this thing and I've done it really well and I was really successful and now I'm not doing that anymore. What am I? What who, am I contributing am I to society? Yeah. Like what is kind of, what value do I add? So it is life? an interesting tension that we held of yeah. like, you know, hit 65 and toss the laptop at the person or whatever, you know, symbolic gesture great, you make. Um, there's some great dramatic like movies and television depictions of this kind of, of the quit? Uh, wasteland. About, or, about Schmidt. Is the one He's that about jumped to Jack my Nicholson? That's no. yeah, Jack Nicholson. He oh, he, that's a brilliant mm. scene. Like where they're doing the retirement. They're doing the retirement. The they give him. They literally you know, give him styrofoam a gold cups watch. at the time and whatever, and just and isn't it like you know? And he goes home and like the next Midwest day, United States is, or something. Yeah, and then somewhere. he goes home and the next next day his wife, wife dies. Is dead. Yeah, and then he goes to uh, one of his daughter's weddings or something and gives that speech. Yeah, and and he just do such a good, good job of him standing up there, and you can feel him going to go like. What am I for now? Yeah. Hmm. What well, am I? And I, I know identity. I, I know and he people, was like in insurance or something. I know yeah. people in my life who, you know, they they kind of buckled down financially or whatever for the time that they were supposed to. And then they had a spouse who died early. And then they hit retirement, the thing that they had been saving together right. with to go on trips, to do this. And all of a sudden that person's not there anymore. 
Like, and you kind of feel mm-hmm. like there's this part where like society didn't live up to the contract because the contract was, we're going to scrimp and we're going to save so that we can enjoy these golden years. And then that doesn't work out. I kind of feel that for young people right now in our, I, I know it's a lot of other places too, but on the West coast of Canada here, Vancouver area, the idea of younger people being able to afford a house of their own or something, right, is is um, <laughs> it's not just younger so people. No, Amanda and I are laughing because we'll never be homeowners. But I think like my kids in their twenties, right, and they're like twenty four and twenty six, and I think it makes more sense for them actually to enjoy their lives now when they're like physically able, yeah. Then to you know these ridiculous things of like if you just didn't have that latte, you'd have enough money. No, you're not going to have enough I money. I mean, anyone stop who, eating avocado but what toast. Will be gone is yeah. your twenties. Yeah. Like there, yeah. there's this fallacy <laughs> yeah. that that if you just you know scrimp and save, it's this social contract that you'll be able to afford a house and that you'll pay into your pension plan or you'll pay into your RSPs and then you know when you're old enough you'll be able to retire. And there's that part where, well, even mm-hmm. when I look at at myself and like, um, like my husband and I were like, we'll never buy a home unless there is an immense amount of family tragedy. Well, unless you have a windfall of some kind, that some would kind. be the family mm-hmm. tragedy. Or the lottery. Let's Let's call it something happier. Let's not label that as a windfall. I am uncomfortable. There's an interesting quote in this article, though, where they talk about their golden years, but not having enough gold for the golden years. Yeah. Like people who have been, you know, investing in their RSPs and GACs and things like that. But with the state of the market currently, they retire and things, you know, the market crashed and that savings isn't there anymore. And this isn't a new problem. No. We've historically had people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who are going to food banks they're Mm -hmm. they're living just barely they're eating cat food they're doing whatever they can so it's 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 i think one of the things that's changed is there was this there was this hope sold to us we think historically Historically, it's people so never well, if we talk about what we mm-hmm. we just mentioned 1880 and 1965 yeah as kind of the places for us locally like nationally Canada yeah. it was 1965 and you know globally or in the west let's say it was 1880 that retirement that is such that, that's like super recent so what it means is we've had this relatively short period of time where this concept was a concept and it can, also wasn't for everyone well it was created it was. for to Ken's point also created for industries right yeah for financial well industry. it was created it was created and it came out of the boom of the in, not so much the industrial revolution, but the post-war. I say post-war. Where even if you were working in a factory job, you had a If you, you had, had a full-time job, you had enough money to live. And you had a retirement plan. So you had... Well, th- when was th- the introduction of minimum wage? That I'm not sure of. In that kind of well, frame the, with the, the idea that a minimum the, wage... The creation would, of the middle class. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The creation th- and the idea was you, you worked... And you had three sources for your retirement. You had your work pension, which was about a third of what you needed for retirement. You had the national pension plan in Canada, the Canadian pension plan, which is supposed to be, it's not supposed to carry you entirely. It's about a third. Mm -hmm. And then you had your own third that you were supposed to contribute in savings so that when you got to retirement, you had paid off your house your kids yeah, were out. Can you imagine that? All you had to do was you could you could go on some cruises, you could go on some vacation, you could relax. Because that idea of stability also, that I was talking yeah, about. Until there you die. But you also because you were going to die soon. Yeah. Because you were going to die soon. But even as that dying soon progressed into the mid to well, you were 75 and you were yeah. 80, you still had enough money to, in theory, 
live on. One of the things the article points out that's interesting, and I know this in pastoral work and the rest, is the amount of money that people spend from life savings uh, in their physical, personal care in the last Mm -hmm. 10 years of their life. It's immense. So you know, Ken, from working in like chaplaincy and in some homes and stuff in previous work that you had, that in those private homes, largely those things are being paid for by people's house, by their estate, by taking what would have been Oh, yeah, if you go in, in, at least in Canada, if you go into private long-term care, it starts at around 8000 a month. Yeah, well, I know. Very that's quickly the normal now is like 12000 a month now. Yeah, and it very but quickly creeps up to fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars So the only way month. you can pay for that is, is if you have wealth from well or if you yeah if you've sold your house and you're but you're there's a big and a growing generation that like for myself like i'm not going to go into retirement with a potentially multi-million dollar asset like i don't i won't have a house to sell to liquidate and to there get are that people cash. in those that situation now there's a lot of people in that mm-hmm. situation now but they're in the public health care system then because they can't afford the yeah, there's yeah. also a lot of wealthy people in the public health care uh, system because it's still for one, the unaffordable. Public, well, the public the public system isn't the public homes aren't once you're 90 and you're relying on just sort of people caring for you, it doesn't really matter how big your room is and how pretty the amenities are. So they're choosing to pay 3800 a month instead of 16000 a month and they basically get the same quality of care. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the article does talk about something interesting, though, because we have kind of touched on, like, people live longer, longer. A lot longer. A lot longer, but they're also healthy for a lot longer. And so do you need to retire at 65? You've got a lot of, like, well, I think that there's very also good years where you can, you're cognitively and well, physically able. Well, it did point able. out, actually, that retirement is unhealthy. Yeah. The article be. said people who retire actually do tend to early tend to die earlier i can remember when i was a kid the idea of someone in their 60s like they were ancient it's not just because i had that kid's view of people being (laughs) old but they kind of were yeah when my grandparents were in their 60s they were they were old right but that's because people in their 60s now that i know are not the article Um, also talks about like this the self-imposed kind of age limit that we put on ourselves mm -hmm. that you have someone who who gets to like 65 and they're like, well, I guess I'm no longer useful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's starting to change though. I mean, there may be, there truly may be some limitations onto what kind of work or what sort of areas people in their sixties may or may not, you know, be capable of doing or may not be safe yeah, for them to do those sorts of things. 70, but that's I think tough. that we also need to get rid of the concept that anybody over the age of 65 has nothing to contribute a value mm-hmm. in a workforce of any kind. Yeah, this article does a really good job of talking it about ageism. It actually gives some, suge- yeah, ageism, the, the section yes. there. That, yeah, it's Because there's really something good. in that too. You talked about American politics. And every time I see the candidates, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, how are young people not like more angry? Right. Going yeah. like, are you these yeah. two people? Like, I was watching CNN new? last night, and they spent a disproportionate amount of time talking about stamina. Stamina, because there was a yeah, because that because a lot of polls, right? So in between waiting for election results to roll in, they kept coming yeah, they back. They got to have something to talk about. It was almost like a drinking game. How many times did they say stamina? And there is this understanding of I can understand why younger generations would look at older generations and go wait a minute, it's hard enough for me. I'm never going to have a house or whatever. Yeah. I'm not gonna have, I'm and yet, here the article talks about what's called the dependency ratio, mm-hmm. where the percentage of younger people working, supporting mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. through government subsidies and whatever the older people who aren't working and and the kind of tension that that brings out right but it yeah. also suggested we kind of need to start throwing that dependency ratio out the window yep. a little bit because there's because a lot they're of still people. contributing a lot of people who are yep. retiring are now jumping in and taking jobs that even young people don't want to take maybe they're the people like slowly perhaps begging groceries because they can and they want or they something to do. they also do a lot of volunteer work. There's a lot of yeah. organizations that would not function if Without they those didn't people. have retirees mm-hmm. volunteering their time. And it's at the them. end of the article that she actually offers some suggestions. To I loved like one that talked about people going back and doing the things that they actually loved to do. When yeah, they were talk younger. about like phased retirement mm-hmm. and having so you know how for can some people, people contribute and and have some kind of income. Their professional life may have kind of evolved and they got promotions or whatever, but they stopped actually doing the thing that they loved to do in the beginning. And I I think that is in some ways a really important thing to observe is that maybe the concept of retirement is you get to that place where. Like I even think about it now. I mean, I'm not close to retirement, but I'm closer than the two of you. Um, to earlier that age is you get to the place where I don't have to do this anymore in order to put food on the plate, but I'm choosing to do the things I want to do. So my brother-in-law, for example, just, just retired from being CEO of an, of an airport in Canada. Um, he doesn't need to work financially. He doesn't Mm. need to, but he's choosing to because it gives him it gives him still meaning and purpose he still has a ton of experience to offer and to share oh, of course. but the pressure of being in the right. office yeah. nine to five or in his mm-hmm. case seven to seven sort of thing every single day that so that feels like retirement it means that if he wants to go on a month vacation he, he could yeah. mm-hmm. if he wants to take a week off off of doing his extra stuff he can so so as opposed to the concept of when you turn 65, because the law for a lot of, uh, especially unionized jobs, is when you turn 65, you weren't allowed to work. You've had an expiry date. Yeah. That's it. That You were banned from working. There's no phased retirement. It's over that day. And now that law has changed. You you can't force someone to retire at that age. Um, But now you can have that sort of phase where, okay, yeah, I'll go in three days a week or two days. I still Mm want to work. I still have lots to offer. But I don't have to be doing it. I don't have to be a part of the daily So one of the things you're talking about there is that sense of, I would call it relationality, relationship, but usefulness, right? That... um, and, and the concept that people can struggle with. I think it's why, apparently, in this article, they're saying that, as I mentioned before, people who retire early, a lot of the studies say, you know, not each individual, but in general, die earlier as well. And they were asking mm. why, and it's because um, what keeps us alive and healthy is actually social connection. So if you lose social connection, so if you retire and have great social connection and have a sense of purpose. Yeah. Meaning, mm-hmm. feel like you're doing purpose. something meaningful. Yeah. Cause that was the other thing they mentioned in here. They were, I thought that was really interesting when one of the theorists said, um, we need to drop the idea that you're going to be okay uh, vacationing for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? but I think it's interesting because <laughs> there's a lot of people who don't necessarily get the option for their job or their career to be the thing that is meaningful to them. It yep. may be what they are mm-hmm. skilled at doing or what was available at the time. There's but a lot of people outside of their work, right? Yeah. That, Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting to look at like what gives you meaning and giving retirement as a as a place to actually have Lean the space into that. to do that. Yeah, because the the, the uh, dystopian opposite was pretty oh. clear when she talked about those the Japanese examples. One was a Japanese movie. Yeah, um, seventy came out in twenty twenty two. Yeah, Project Plan seventy five. Mm. 
um, where were they like it imagined a thing where the dependency ratio was a hundred, and so they were offering a thousand dollars to each elderly person to to terminate their lives. Like like you pay them a thousand dollars anyway. Um, and then an actual assistant professor of economics at Yale University, um, Yusuke Narita. I'm assuming yeah, Japanese again. I think building on that said. Um, he actually suggested mass suicide and, for some reason, disembowelment of the age. Did you read that part? Um, he said, Maybe I, feel, I skimmed I that part. I feel like the yeah. only solution is pretty clear, he said in a 2021 video. Narita later softened his comments in response to questions from the New York Times, saying that they were, quote, an abstract metaphor. And then the author puts in brackets, disembowelment seems pretty visceral to me. <laughs> but he did win a big audience. He now has more than 600,000 followers on what used to be called... Twitter. The social media platform uh, where, formerly known. Where there is a sense that people are saying, yeah, it is, they're only a drag, they're useless. Uh, well, I think that's well, a very real there thing There is certainly about. a cultural thing in certain countries that age is that you actually do have an expiry date. I think we're hopefully Well, and can I don't know whether that, you've encountered this in your work as, as a hospital chaplain, but I, I remember speaking to one nurse when Canada first introduced maid and she was very concerned because she's like I made being for our um, listeners. sorry medical assistance in death in dying yeah. in dying sorry and like she was very concerned about she's like i've seen patients whose families are telling them that they're a burden and so like it's something made that people grown disturbingly popular i understand um well, it's grown more. It's grown more common. I don't know. Uh, for some, it that's disturbing. disturbing. Exactly. For others, it's not. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a it's a choice to say, I I'm at a place where my life is no longer meaningful to me. You can't judge when my life yeah. is meaningful. Mm -hmm. I judge yeah. when my life is meaningful. I'm not adding anything. I don't have anything more to experience. And so, yeah, I'm okay with. I'm okay with saying yeah enough is enough i'm not interested in the slow decay and decline of my body that that doesn't appeal to me now you also have people who yeah families feel pressure can, towards that and or mm -hmm. that at least they feel the pressure they from the family well, even if the family's not doing yeah because if that house becomes available but there's been some really or creative the money from that house comes which available. is paying twelve thousand dollars a month for their right. care right yeah. so it there's the, been some it's going down 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 the, yeah there's been some really interesting kind of like re like creative relational solutions to some of these things. Like you've seen where they've got like seniors' homes and preschools that have combined and they yeah, like I love have that stuff. these ways in which people who maybe, you know, are really struggling with those social connections, that they're finding ways that life still feels really beautiful and meaningful to them. Like there's ways that, there's ways we can get around some of these things. But it is a very real thing that when people feel alone, when they feel like a burden, when they feel lost, that that's well, a like really a difficult place to be in. I mean, you're talking about it in a heartwarming way, which obviously I love, and I know those. I've heard those stories too. Just the I just don't think that's the majority of people's experience. I th I love the fact that there are people who have that experience, but I think that there's a lot of people that don't. And well, you've seen really it. Sad. You've seen in working in care centers, Ken, like like the loneliness. That w if a child is, goes in there. Mm -hmm. or oh, e mm. even a little pet. Like, or it's magic. Like just this kind of like reminder that there was that fear that comes, the fear of loneliness, the fear of being deemed useless, whatever. Yeah. There were a couple funny things in the article too. You had oh, one on the advice. It. I've got it right here. On the advice to um, to not act yeah, old when they're at talking work about, or something. About ageism. And they're saying... Um, uh, 
that there's tips to how to behave at work to appear less old. Don't groan when you stand up. Uh, you did you do that, Ken? Uh, yeah. Allison, the, the youngest person at the Kay. table. No, anyway, keep going. I have a child that yeah. doesn't sleep. And so I, like, I'm wondering how many of these things are so related to I you suspect she was doing uh, it in her 20s. Okay. It's possible. Anyway, so like I said, I've been old for Continue. a long time. Don't groan when you stand up. Uh, smile in meetings so your face doesn't sag into resting old face. Which I isn't w- all that different from how women, women are told just to, yeah. you know, smile more. Keep smiling. So now people. I feel... What was it called for women, though? Resting right, bitch rest. face. So it, could you combine those? Resting old bitch face? <laughs> Would that be... Only for women. Okay. So Apparently. smile so that your so face doesn't... So sexist and ageist now. Yeah. No, let's combine mm-hmm. all of those there. Yeah, and then you've got... And never rummage... For anything, especially glasses, actually never say the word rummage. Those are good tips. I think I'd actually like to start using the word rummage more now. I know. I feel I like I'd like to joy. Like co-opt that. Yeah. Like we yeah. said, I've been old for a long time. I really appreciate some of those and, things. And I think, I think too, just working, working in hospital, working in long-term care, there is such a variety. I had, I had a patient today, 99, and a memory just so sharp. She was telling me all about what North Van looked like oh, yeah, it's when she was growing up yeah. at almost a hundred years this, yeah. ago. That is a long life. And if I could, you know, and I get that, if I could grow old and be a hundred like that. Bring it on. But I've also seen some 70 year olds and if my life, yeah. was that? I'm not it's sure I'd tale. want to be able to, I'd, I'm not sure I'd want to be that. And so anyways, it, it it's, I think something that keeps striking me as we keep talking about the relational aspect of it, culturally, if we can make work not the only place where you have yeah, those meaning. kind of connections. Meaning and connection and relationship. Because that's yeah. what we talk about. Like, you retire and then you lose the relationships that you had. Because well, you're not going to some place. Culturally, we could people. do better. You know, it's <laughs> can, can you would know yes. this? Well, I, I know, Allison, you would too. Amanda, I'm sure you could anticipate it or you maybe have done these things that, but I know the three of us had have uh like regularly when i was full-time minister at a church one of the jobs and most ministers get this in the community is to go into the care center and do some kind of service so yeah, yeah. there were times in allison you helped me with a few of these where it was just like i would go by myself and do one at a place called yeah, Cedarview, you and, I did that for and a we long like time. And, and you could play piano and then if you were unavailable like i would bring a cd and play music and the old people would kind of <laughs> sing um and then there was also go to another place that you work in now sometimes called evergreen i love that they're always called that right like evergreen <laughs> like it's just like cedar you something sure are not <laughs> is that just like a nobody North believes thing? That, no okay cemeteries are called There's like, like you know ever valley view cemetery yeah. yeah um are you evergreen <laughs> and, and at evergreen we would go in and do the service there and they're the kinds of things that often I think I can identify with other ministers in this. I think they would relate to this, where you're not, you rarely like look forward to it. You're like, oh right, Sunday afternoon, I'm tired, I've, I've just done church, got to go do this. Honestly, I can't think of a time where I left feeling that and way, and you didn't feel mm. better. Yeah. So this this idea back to the relationality thing, mm-hmm. back to yeah. the now you did have to choose to be present. It mm-hmm. would be possible, I think, to go there and leave feeling mm-hmm. worse because it, it can be a depressing place. They're hard environments. Yeah. They can be. But with that engagement, with that engagement, with even the person who seems like they're not all there or mm-hmm. not, you leave with that positive sense. So there is something there. So before we end with hope, we'll go bleak first because that's... Oh, are we? So I'm done with bleak article, now. Toward so. the end of the article, and she does end with hope as well. So, But toward the end, she said, here's a bleak prospect for many retiring Canadians. They will leave or be pushed out of the workforce too soon and without enough money. 
They're financially prepared for the short and medium haul of life after work, but not the long one. I think that's even questionable now, whether they're prepared mm -hmm. for the medium or short. But they will go on to live too long in too poor health uh, because increased life expectancy has also increased the number of years people spend being sick. Yeah. And they will live with a dwindling ability to support themselves or live independently. That's the bleak picture. And I think when we talk about precariousness, that's what people are afraid of, is what if I reach these situations where I'm alone yeah. and I mm -hmm. can't figure my life out? Um, but her answers to that are the same ones we've been speaking about. They're relational. They are how do we engage across generations? How do we help people to see that you're never past your like meaning and purpose and usefulness? Um, and that there's great hope in that. So any, any last comments or thoughts from the article or from other things before we end? You're looking forward to being retired? I'm, I'm looking forward to not needing or having to go in and do nine to five, five days mm. a week. But I don't which have Which is relatively new for you. Which is new for me. But, but, but that concept that I don't, I, I'm going to work because I choose to and it's yeah. meaningful and it adds something to my life and I believe I can add something to the place I work in, wherever that may be a dozen or 15 years from now. But um, the idea of just not working and not doing anything or just vacationing or and going golfing, no, that doesn't uh, appeal to me. One of the points of hope is actually, I guess in Canada, if you want to call this a point of hope, is we're actually, some people are theorizing that we're actually at the place where we've hit the maximum where age expectancy is going to grow and it's actually beginning to shrink back. So we can people can hope that they might die <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Way well, to flip that. <laughs> I don't know. Like there's, there's, I feel like I, I honestly don't know how to conceptualize retirement even for myself. Like I cannot imagine a time where I will not be working like financially, I just, I can't think about that. There's, there's nothing that feels like I would have that kind of financial security. Um, I, where I do find hope is in those places though, where we can go, we can redefine what yeah. usefulness looks like, what interaction and relationships look like. We can, we can redefine those things. And maybe by the time that I get much older than I am now, there those things are reality where we're not looking at like the Canada pension plan anymore, but maybe we're looking at what, what a kind of like a phased retirement looks like where there is a level of support that we have social systems that can help people who struggle to, you know, live independently or yep. to work physical jobs, but that there are ways that we find more meaningful ways as a society to engage people when they're older like a that they still feel like there is value mm. that they can add to society because there is I mean you sit down and you talk with anyone who's older and it just it, well, they've lived life it defies every every time that I do that it just breaks down in the best possible way all of my idiotic prejudices and stupid assumptions about things that you know I'm like you cannot operate your smartphone fine, but you understand what family looks like and what walking through really difficult times for decades means. And, and they're like, not worried about the same things they used to be worried about. No, and they, and like if they come out on anything, the other side. Like, it's okay, you, you shouldn't worry yeah. about that. Yeah, so yeah. Let's, yeah. let's, we can reimagine what what value means. Well, there's, there's 
there's, I won't name the stores, but there's two types of sort of hardware stores where you can go for plumbing supplies and building supplies around here. One primarily employs younger people. The other one employs an awful lot of retired Mm -hmm. plumbers, electricians, builders. And if you have a choice of going in and asking for advice (laughs) from a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old about how, what, type of plumbing what's the thing i need or a 70 year old who has 40 years of plumbing experience which one would you rather go to i was going to say too to your point earlier about maybe part of the idea is is a guaranteed minimum income once you're over the age of 65 or 70 there are ways that we can like there are people who are creative there are people who are far more creative than i am like i i feel confident that there is a human capacity to figure out some really really amazing solutions to stuff. I'm being a little like cynical where I just go, will it happen? I don't know. We'll Well, see if there's the social will, but it certainly is possible. There is, there's also something when we give the relative short history of the concept of retirement. Um, (laughs) It was like a one generation thing. A little bit of what was being sold was independence. Mm -hmm. Hmm. You, you need to get to a place where you don't need anybody. Yeah. And we're Um, moving away from that. And, Realizing that we are interdependent. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not such a bad is thing. It's not a bad thing. No. Yeah. Um, I think the movement, especially post COVID and uh, killing the idea of your identity as grind culture and work, will yeah. also help with that. Yeah. That is. So, well, we're really grateful. I'm just about finished my warm. Oh, I finished my right warm. Is there a name for it? Hot no. toddy, okay. isn't it? Hot toddy. No, it's it, a hot toddy. What is a hot toddy? usually made with rum. I've had very few hot toddies in my life. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know how to respond. So, but I'm really grateful for all of you guys. And uh, thanks for you know joining us in this discussion. And blessings to you in whatever way you feel precarious. Where you, <laughs> we've used retirement so as an example. Options. Whatever it is that you listening have had to kind of go, maybe I have to let go of this thing that I thought was going to be there. Um, you're not alone in that. And articles like this help us to see that. And the more that we can realize our interdependence and chances are, I mean, I don't want to assume the situation for those who are listening, but chances are, if you're listening, you have quite a good deal of blessing in your life and some really good relationships. The things that we know really um, affirm our humanity. So blessings to you. And the other thing we've learned is if you're really in a stuck spot, get a cat. Get a cat. Thank you very much. Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our cupboard master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>